0: Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan.
1: I'm Richard Roper.
0: It's Independence Day, the birth of our nation's anniversary.
1: Yes, and also the 25th anniversary of Independence Day, oh. the disaster
0: movie. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Yes, we are. Well, let's do that, but first let me tell you that Rowan Roper are brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing, drives your overall business success, doesn't it? Because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. It's the 25th anniversary of Independence Day.
1: Released 4th of July weekend, 1996. A huge disaster film, rocon and uh, Will Smith entered the Pantheon of box office champions. It was a great vehicle for him. Actually, you know, a really fun disaster movie if you go back and watch it now because the special effects are actually pretty darn good Yeah. for 1996. And they did a brilliant job of... You know, the slow build where you saw the shadows of these, whatever these things were. We didn't know at first what they were. Uh, I do like, though, that uh, when they, when people finally realize that these are giant spaceships like the size of a city, what they love doing in this movie is having all the cars crash into each other on the street because <laughs> everybody's looking up. And then you get the cop or the cabbie. They all get out of their cars. Don't get out of your car when there's a big spaceship overhead. Well, there a man in the car. Yeah, that's it. Was a great
0: commentary on New York <laughs> because yeah. it was like, hey, you know, I don't care about your freaking yeah. spaceship. I gotta get across town.
1: That's, that's very true, uh, but you know, it was it was interesting to see how they really took their time introducing us to the various characters. You know, Will Smith is this military guy, and Vivica A. Fox is his stripper girlfriend. Yep. And Randy Quaid is a, you know, a nutball who claimed he had been uh, abducted by aliens who had Mm -hmm. probed him years earlier. But what did he play in the movie? Exactly. (laughs) I didn't know that he was method acting there. It wasn't (laughs) even a method. He was just playing himself. And I'm like, uh, you know, it's one of the few cases where the guy portraying the absolute. Crazy nutball is probably crazier than yeah. the craze nutball I, I don't
0: think that's one of the few cases of it
1: but it is and, a case of and it. then bill pullman as your heroic president Very and awesome. then you've got jeff goldblum who's perfectly cast as the guy that figures out they're doing some sort of coding and he realized it, and then he picks up his dad judd hirsch he's like he actually says i think in the movie i'm gonna bicycle to my dad's for comic relief <laughs> so we can put him in the movie you know, it's like, and it, so because because he brings him to the White House, and now he's got to get on Air Force One. I had relatives like this. Oh, Mister Big Shot, you're gonna yeah, be on Air oh Force One. God. You're gonna save the world, Mister
0: Big Shot. All of a sudden, uh, you can't talk to my son like that. You're you're a big one, You're the president. You're Mister
1: Big Shot. Does, I would have wanted to die if I'd known. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, Margaret <laughs> Colin. Margaret Colin is the uh, one of the communications directors, yeah. and she's you know the estranged wife of the Jeff Goldblum character. And then Mary McConnell is the first lady, but she's way over there. So. For a big-ass, goofy, you know, man versus aliens, humans versus aliens movie, they really created a lot of fun characters, sort of like they did in the 70s disaster films, like The Towering Inferno and The Poseidon Adventure. So by the time the you know the ship turns over or the building's on fire, we're like, oh, no, Shelly Winters, you know, or whoever you were rooting for to make it through. <laughs> I was never rooting for Shelly nah, Winters. She ah, a hell of a swimmer.
0: <laughs> Actually, O.J. Simpson was in The Towering Inferno, as yeah. I seem to recall. Yeah, yeah. All right. I I will say that of those kinds of movies, I was so pleasantly surprised by the level of dialogue, the beautifully way it was shot. I thought Independence Day was just, you know, a beautiful movie to watch wash over you. And the performance is really, really good. Yeah, and you know,
1: we've seen this now. I guess in about forty or fifty years, maybe more than that, of alien invasion movies. Why do they always look pretty much the same? We we haven't figured out a way. I have way. a theory on that. Okay, because the aliens always are slimy, lizardy. Mm-hmm weirdo creatures who somehow have super intelligence but haven't figured out how to like make themselves not look horrible but maybe they think we look horrible
0: better looking you mean you think well, they're there's so like, smart when they get some you know, work done
1: we, we, every movie we're going to talk about a movie and what not to watch later <laughs> on today where they look exactly like the aliens that came in Independence
0: Day I think because that's what aliens actually look like because oh, yeah. it's in our mind's eye it is in our DNA to understand what those aliens look
1: like well yeah we're always told that you know they came from a billion galaxies away they're f- they have far superior technology well, you saw it. it's and intelligence, and yet they still kind of like just squirt their feces on the ground and have like all kinds of gross stuff that comes out of them. <laughs> they don't look that smart to me, and they eat anything, you know. And they always can get outfoxed by you know Will Smith and, and three true. other pilots. Yeah, but I want to I want to talk to you, Rose, in the larger scheme of disaster movies because okay. it's very interesting when you look at the 1990s because we talked a few weeks ago about Twister, the tornado. Right. movie where the twister was the villain here the aliens are the villains but in the 90s we also got Armageddon which was of course you know we got to go blow up the thingy if not the, the big giant thing he's going to land on us right. and mm-hmm. and and Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck have a crying scene together mm-hmm. and uh, Harold Smith does the title <laughs> song and that was a huge hit and then one that I really liked I thought was really well done was Deep Impact remember that one yes
0: actually it was the best of that genre I think
1: that was about a giant asteroid striking. But again, we had all these really interesting characters. And I think that was 1998. Incredible special effects. But we also had, Mm -hmm. in 1997, this is all within about a four or five year period in the 1990s. Remember when there were the dueling volcano disaster movies, Dante's Peak Mm -hmm. and Volcano. And both studios were like, you know, when we got Tommy Lee Jones. Well, we got Pierce Brosnan. And, and they just went ahead with them. But I want to talk to you, Ro, because, you know, we covered politics and the world in the 90s. And it was a, a, definitely a changing world. And I don't want to sugarcoat things. But, I mean, we had the Rodney King and the L.A. riots. We had O.J. We had the Clinton administration and the impeachment. And, of course, there were a lot of serious problems happening. But it didn't feel as if our world in the 90s was quite as insane as it is now. No. So Hollywood was doing films about disasters. You know, we could kind of escape into that. So they instead of saying, well, you know, Russia's not really a threat right now. It doesn't look like World War 3 is going to happen the planet yeah it was probably still got another good 30 years left before everything starts crumbling because right. now global warming is always an element so we had so many of these disaster movies i mean that can't be a coincidence right right
0: i think when we don't have something major going on it was a moment of peace right we weren't at war we hadn't been in war for a while at that yeah. point i mean i know uh, some people would count the uh, kosovo and the bosnian situation but really the the going to war and you know having all these troops going off to some foreign land that wasn't happening
1: it was a relatively
0: peaceful period
1: and a prosperous period in most in most instances yeah things were
0: going well so we had to make things bad and other than the president of the united states you know being with the intern which was just super wrong that was about as as bad as it got remember how Outraged people were about that and how dare the president and it was I mean I was outraged by it too because yeah. it's I mean she's an intern that was it, it couldn't have been worse but it's nothing compared to, to what we've been through
1: yeah so yeah and the disasters I think the other thing too with all these films because they got big stars and big budgets and almost all of them were hits I mean there were very few of these the, the volcano movies I don't know if did as well because again I think, you know, there's a difference between the cinematic fluidity of an asteroid making its way to the planet and big tidal waves or aliens as opposed to that big bubbling volcano. Because when you're watching those movies, you're like, well, yes, volcano's bad, even if it's Dante's Peak or the tidal volcano in Volcano. But you got time to get away from the volcano at some point. And most of the people on the planet are gonna go, Well, sucks for them. But it's not like it was a right. volcano that was gonna spew lava over half of the earth. Wow. You which need that. That's what one. you got. You, you know. Need what I mean, one of those. And, and of course, you had the same kind of plot because it's like you'd always have that one eccentric, just like Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. Somebody was always warning. You know, some old crusty volcano watcher was like, Ah, she's gonna blow, or whatever they call it, in vol- volcano, you know, she's gonna erupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then, and then you'd get the guy with all the high-tech at least high-tech for 1997 okay all the high-tech equipment and he'd say ah i'm going right into the mouth of the volcano with my volcanoometer, and i'll show you <laughs> this thing isn't gonna erupt for another 500 years and then he'd go in there with this equipment next thing you know he's getting all lavaed out you know
0: i you know you, you've hit on something really important we are now in a post-apocalyptic moment we actually had an existential crisis as a humanity, not just as Americans or as New Yorkers or Chicagoans or anything like that. We we literally had a moment where we thought, oh my God, I could die, my family could die, we could all be extinct, and we got through it. And on the other side of that, I think we're going to be looking for a different form of entertainment. That's why the big... Yeah, you know, the mm-hmm. Marvel Universe and yeah, things like that. Yeah. Those are always going to live forever because it's complete fantasy.
1: Complete escapism.
0: There was a moment in the mid-2000s, you know, war movies weren't really going very well, especially after the Iraq War started yeah, in 2003 yeah, yeah. and the body counts were going up and it was getting mm-hmm. pretty scary how many people, young American men and a few women, Died there, and you know that godforsaken desert. I don't want to see stuff like that in entertainment that I'm watching in real life. So again, the war movie kind of fell apart a little bit until you got. The war movie versions of it, like Hurt Locker, which changed everything, because you yeah. got to see it from their perspective and the uselessness American of Sniper it. Sniper, a few years after yeah. that,
1: quite, quite a few years after that. No, I think that's a great point. There's always this: what's going to happen now? You know, after 9/11, they said, well, there'll never be any movies about that, and then we got dozens of movies and TV shows, many of them very well done, about either fictionalized versions or documentaries about 9/11. During the pandemic, we saw a lot of noble efforts. You know, whether they were TV show shows, even a few movies. Where everybody was on Zoom and kind of acknowledging what was happening, television series kind of followed the pandemic plotline. I don't sense, Roe, that there's going to be a big appetite in the next few years for contagion like no. thrillers about the pandemic because people do not want to see. I, th- I think, do not want to see a movie or a TV show for a long, long, long time where everybody has to wear a mask and this pandemic is hitting the world.
0: Contagion is an excellent example of this because Contagion was a perfectly done film. It caught almost exactly, you can think of what your yeah. life has been like for the last eight months. And it came months. out a decade,
1: literally a dec- decade before the pandemic hit. Yeah. Right,
0: and it's very similar. Right. You had these people that weren't quite sure and then they were getting sick. And, and obviously in that movie, people died more quickly and more violently and they were in greater numbers mm-hmm. uh, than than what we saw here. But that movie was as close to what our experience was yeah. as any movie about a pandemic. However, it gives you this sense at the end of the movie about how society is framed. Right. There's mm-hmm. people breaking into houses yeah. and yeah. and just, you know, stealing things and,
1: and people on the inside of the system gaming it so that they can move up to get the, the, the vaccine. Right. You know, all of that.
0: And all of that has happened. And the fraying of the culture, we're seeing that now. Yeah. Crime is up in the major cities. There is a more of a desperation in the streets than mm-hmm. there was. And of course, we have, you know, the the all the confluence of the social dynamics that have happened here since George Floyd and everything else that, that mm-hmm. is, you know, drawing a lot. Of the energy now toward the, are we going to be falling apart as a society? Are we going to come together as a society? Where are we actually going to be in this? I happen to believe we're going to come together Mm. ultimately here. We're going to go through this. But that movie, Contagion, presaged that. You knew that things were not going to be the same. It's sort of like after you get over the flu, you have this lingering Cough for weeks, and you still feel bad, but you're over it. Yeah. And I think as a culture, as a globe, yeah, I think you're right. We are going through that aftermath piece, and you know, there's some places in the world that are still pretty sick. But once we get beyond that, we need a couple of years to settle back into something. That's where I'm telling you, man. The Marvel universe, yeah, and you know, I don't know if DC is going to be able to pull it off because they really don't only have a couple of franchises that work, but. There are going to be these big kind of uh, those sorts of
1: fantastical things. Escape is fair. I mean, I think somewhere down the road, listen, there are hundreds of stories of heroism and valor and humanity that come from the pandemic, and there have been you know hundreds of books, and I'm sure there are movie rights option, but I think it'll be. Many many years before we see the best movies about 2020, where they'll look back on it. I don't think in the, you know the, I don't think oh, like many years. I don't think we're gonna see like you know Martin Short is Fauci as he you know turns takes a dramatic turn or something <laughs> like that in the next year or two. You know,
0: <laughs> it's so funny you think I cured the pandemic. Uh, listen, there is something that we must remember after World War II, yeah. which has a lot of equivalents. To the social upheaval of what we have just gone through with the pandemic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we lost more people as yeah. a result of it. More Americans died.
1: Probably the single most important event of the 20th century. I mean, yeah, really. it was, was World yeah. War
0: II. And then then there's this, which is yeah. so far the most important event, right? Yeah. I mean, a global thing. It's terrible. Yeah. Right. But at the end of World War II, and they were making World War II movies, still at the end of World War II, nobody wanted to see them. Right. Right. Except for... Well, and even the movie that we've talked about a number of times here on Screen Time.
1: The best years of our lives.
0: People didn't really go to see that until years after. It was yeah. a hit in later years than it was when it first came out.
1: Well, and that's exactly the same thing happened. All the best Vietnam War movies came out after the Vietnam War was over. You know, It was some it, it, kind of remarkable, actually, because there's only a few years after, but it was over because during... Vietnam War, we didn't get much other than stuff like, you know, propaganda like the Green Berets. And you had MASH, which was about the Korean War on TV, but was really about the Vietnam War. Coming but, Home. You had yeah, a couple but, things but, but were no, still but, going. but Coming Home, Deer Hunter, Apocalypse Now, those are all late 70s films. They came out after the war was over, and we were already starting to rethink in a big way. Even mainstream, even, you know, the so-called moral majority was starting to already rethink what the hell did we get involved with. So I think the same thing with the pandemic. It'll be a while before we see big mainstream uh, movies about 2020.
0: All right, let's get to something uplifting. Things you shouldn't watch this weekend and three things you should in the Thursday three. But first, let me tell you about our friends at Portillo's, the finest fast casual experience you're going to have in all of dining. Portillo's, you know, not just hot dogs. Mm. A lot of, you know, when it started in Chicago, people are like, oh, it's a hot dog shop. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, oh, wait, we got we got Italian beef? Wait, we got Italian sausage? Wait, you got chocolate cake? <laughs> Oh, man. It's just uh, it's just one of the great experiences you can have. And I I think I just said this a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. If you live somewhere where Portillo's is new in California, Arizona, parts of Florida, check it out. Go have the chocolate cake. You get a little slice of home if you're from the Midwest, you're from Chicago or you're from the East Coast, too, because, you know, that that food will be very familiar to you as street food. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm i going to, you know, it's going to be so heavy." It's not. Mm. And can I just tell you something? Mm. The best thing about Portillos mm. is that bun that they put the Italian beef on yeah, yeah. that you get now when you get that dipped and it gets all wet. Yeah. That is the perfect piece of bread. <laughs> and you know, carbs be damned. You can do it once a month. You're sure. not going to hurt anything. You'll be fine. Portillos.com. P O R T I L L O S. how you spell that Portillos.com. Find a store near you or order online and you can get it anywhere in the United States of America, portillos.com. All
1: right, what should we not be watching this weekend? The one entry in what not to watch. It's called The Tomorrow War and it is a big budget disaster movie, if you will. Now, Roe, I like the setup for The Tomorrow War. Uh, Chris Pratt, who has long since made the transition from you know the goofy schlub on Parks and Recreation in the Jurassic movies and Guardians of the Galaxy, he's in action hero mode here. So in The Tomorrow War... He plays a high school teacher in present day, but get this, he's former Delta Forces. I oh. wonder if that'll come into play, right? Mm-hmm. So he's a family man. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden one day, all these there's this big invasion and all these helmeted soldiers come plunging down everywhere right in the middle of a soccer match and all over the world. And it looks like an alien invasion. But then it turns out when they mm-hmm. take off their helmets, they're humans from the Future. Oh, God. And they come here to say that 30 years of the future, they're losing a war against the aliens that have invaded, and they're running out of soldiers, but they have figured out time travel, so they've come back in time to recruit the present-day people. Oh, this is the worst? Fight, right? Oh, wait, hold on. Now, wait, consider this, though. So this means the, the, the soldiers who are landing now in present day, yeah. they're actually recruiting their parents and grandparents right you know because they're if you were five now you're 35 so they come back and they go we need all you guys to save us we're your kids grown up so now everybody who's an able-bodied uh, citizen of the planet including of course chris pratt who was a former military guy uh-huh. they get a time jump 30 years from uh-huh. now and they got to join the war I'm just. I'm trying to work this into the
0: time loop authority yeah. or whatever to figure out if yeah. this actually the is yeah. a, a way to be able to. Well, can you do that? Because what? Now, all right, let me just ask yeah. you this question. What if you took your parents out? Yeah. But then ten minutes later, you slipped and you fell in the pool, and your dad, who saved you from drowning, wasn't there. Well, would you still be there?
1: That's always the thing, you know. That's the whole thing with Loki. You can't mess with the timeline. Uh, So, of course, first of all, it's basically a reverse twist on Terminator, right? Now, instead of going back to, you know, make sure that Sarah Connor gives birth to John Connor, we've got, uh, you know, this whole other thing going on, right? So they're getting transported to the future, which means, of course, Chris Pratt's going to see his little daughter who's now, you know, 30-some years old, and that's going to be weird, which was kind of also a little bit of what happened in Interstellar. So they borrow a lot of elements from better movies. But once we get to the future row and then we jump back and forth, uh, the aliens are those damn aliens again. They're you know they're they're really fast and they're really smart and they're eating the humans. They're having them for food. So it's like a you know a bad zombie movie. And then special effects I thought were kind of second rate for a movie that has big stars like Chris Pratt's in here and J.K. Simmons, the Academy Award winner, mm-hmm. plays Chris Pratt's estranged dad. But now they have to get together. So cheesy and disappointing. Stay away from the Tomorrow War.
0: Where shouldn't we be watching this?
1: Uh, that was an Amazon Prime. Oh. Film. It's interesting because that was going to come out in all the theaters and then there were some financial uh, exchanges and stuff and I think they know that they and might not have a hit on their hands. Yeah, yeah and they go, let's okay. just put it on the Amazon Prime. <laughs> let's okay. get out from
0: under this thing. It's like, it's like in a bet now where all the, the apps that you can bet on your phone, they let yeah. you out of the bet if you take it at a loss. That's yeah. kind of what I figure Amazon Prime <laughs> is for Hollywood now.
1: All right, the Thursday three. What's checking in at number three? Okay, this is really cool. This is uh, the one and only Dick Gregory. and It's a one-time, not a series, but it's a documentary on Showtime. And If people don't know about Dick Gregory, he's an incredible figure who came up. He was born in St. Louis but came up in the Chicago of the early 60s, black comic who had brilliant social commentary and actually hit it big because he was hired to play the Playboy Club. By Hugh Hefner and Hugh Hefner did not know at the time that he had hired him on a night when a bunch of southern conventioners were in town and he killed there's audio recording of him playing to this huge group of southerners doing humor about the clan and segregation and they loved it next thing you know he's on Jack Parr the Tonight Show he becomes a huge huge comedy star who then gets involved in all kinds of social right. activism becomes friends with Martin Luther King uh, goes on hunger strikes and marches so he had that part of his career then, well before Forrest Gump, he ran across the country for various causes, and then he became this nutritionist. He was one of the first uh, people to talk about how much you should drink eight glasses of water a day and vegan diets and all this. So, And this incredible influence on everybody from Dave Chappelle to Kevin Hart to Chris Rock, who all appear in this documentary. If you see the footage of Dick Gregory waving that cigarette around and moving, you're like, yeah, Chappelle has studied him. You know, and learned from him, uh, Dick Gregory, who passed away just a few years ago. But it's called "The One and Only Dick Gregory," a biography of an amazing American figure,
0: without question.
1: All right, at number two, no sudden move. Steven Soderbergh uh, said about ten years ago he's going to retire, and he's done about fifteen movies since then, <laughs> and we're all the better for it. Ro, you're going to love this movie. Oh, I
0: love Steven Soderbergh. It's a
1: film noir set in 1955 Detroit group of small-time criminals they got to find this document that's all pertaining to the big three automotive uh gang at the time and gm and what are they doing and what's happening with the car business but then there's all sorts of merged and double crossing and the cast is amazing don chito benicio del toro john Hamm, ray liotta kieran culkin all in this movie and it's just one of those it reminds me of a there's a film from 1955 called the desperate hours with humphrey bogart and it's got that same noir feeling where it's like One small-time job goes wrong, and then things get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's got a great look filmed on location in Detroit. Is Matt Damon in this film? The rumors are that Matt Damon is in this film. Because Uh, you
0: know there is not a single Steven Soderbergh film that Matt Damon doesn't
1: somehow appear in. He's often in. In the films, and uh, you know, uh, yes, I will say that he's in the film. It's kind of an extended cameo, and Matt Damon has this incredible knack. Even though the first thing you think is, "Oh shit, Matt Damon," but in like ten minutes of screen time, he dominates the film. He could because he could do everything.
0: So I always talk about this Steven Soderbergh project he did, the Che Guevara, yep, the, like what twelve hour film with Benicio del Toro playing Che Guevara, and yeah. There is a scene you don't, you don't you don't expect this coming. All of a sudden, you know the communists and Jay and Fidel and all the rest of them are taking some some little town in the mountains of Cuba, and a priest comes running out of the church yeah. screaming in Spanish. I mean, the movie was in Spanish or yeah. this whatever Bunch this project it, yeah. was was in Spanish, and it's Matt Damon speaking perfect Spanish, yeah. screaming as he's trying to protect. His church.
1: Yeah, that's that's I actually forgotten about that. You're right, and of course the oceans movies and the informant and so many things. Soderbergh definitely has a a whole cast of regulars, but Daniel Del Toro being another one, and he can just do every kind of film row, and you know he changes the cameras and stuff. So for this movie, you know he has shot entire movies on iPhones. He was one of the first ones to do that, and he's used you know way back in the day, Sex Lies and Videotape. He's always been on the cutting edge, and in this case, he actually uses lenses from the fifties to have that look mm-hmm. of a 1950s film noir. So it's called No Sudden Move. It's great.
0: Oh, wow. And where where do we... I want to find that. That where one you them? can see at
1: theaters. Oh, damn yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I might I, be able to get it on demand. You know, it, I always tell people because there are so many things to keep track of and I'm like, Google it and you'll find out where you can find okay. it. You Because
0: know? I... I I'm ready to go to baseball games. We were just at one last yeah. weekend. I'm ready to go to football when that starts up again. I'm ready to go to hockey when that starts up again, at least in Chicago when it starts up again. Yeah. I am not... Uh, prepared to go to a movie theater yet just because i don't want to sit there in the summer
1: well our crack team of researchers has just informed me hbo max as well for uh no Sun move so you can watch it there scaredy cat
0: okay fine
1: and finally at number one we have summer of soul a documentary about a music festival i knew nothing about so in 1969 in harlem every sunday for like uh most of the summer they had these incredible music festivals this was just before woodstock which wow. happened later that summer and it was shot as a possible tv special by a veteran tv director cameras everywhere and everything and they couldn't sell it they tried to sell it as the black woodstock for years and it just sat and now quest love the great quest love people know him from his music and from being a band leader with uh, with, with, uh, with, with the roots and uh, jimmy fallon right. and all that he's the director of this and they unearthed all the footage and it's un unbelievable There's every time it's in this park where there's maybe fifty or sixty thousand people every Sunday. Stevie Wonder, who was just nineteen at the time, the Staple singer Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight and the Pips—unbelievable stuff. And you see these performers, and in some cases, they got to talk to them if they're still around. Uh, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. They actually show them in in present day watching the Fifth Dimension in 1969, and they still—they've been married for like fifty years. They look incredible. Marilyn McCoo talks about and I never thought about this. They do Aquarius Let the Sunshine and the Medley from Hair that became number one. She said, you know, we were doing songs like Up Up and Away, and we wanted to play the Harlem Festival because people who heard us thought we were white and we needed to have that credibility. Cause she goes, and she goes, I never quite got that, because there are different sounds and we brought we incorporated different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. But seeing them see the footage is amazing. It's called Summer of Soul, treasure trove of documentary footage. Almost none of it seen until now.
0: And the music is great.
1: Incredible. And what I like is, you know, we do hear a lot of commentators. We hear from people who were there at the time, you know, attendees, some of the performers, uh, but we also get to see the musical numbers, you know, full Flat, like woodstock you know yeah. you know and seeing sly and the family stone it's a great comment they go you know just because they introduced sly and the family stone didn't mean that they were necessarily there because <laughs> so, you know they're you know famously the album there's a riot going on is about chicago where they never showed up and there was a little bit of a riot but they come out and they kind of tune their instruments and you know they're this two-tone uh gender parody group because so there's sylvester stewart the leader of the group but the drummer was this white guy and the saxophonist was a white guy, and then they had uh, black women who not only did vocals and keyboard, but one of them played the trumpet, and nobody had ever seen anything like that. They they had so much funk. Oh, yeah. And they just killed. They killed at the Harlem Festival with a lot of the same numbers that they then killed at Woodstock uh, a month later.
0: Wow. The summer of 69 in New York was a wild, yeah. wild time. Yeah. You know, there, was, yeah. there have been movies made about that as well, so... Great. Cannot wait to see that. So the three things to watch this weekend, if you get a chance, the one and only Dick Gregory, No Sudden Move, the great Steven Soderbergh, and Summer of Soul. Great stuff. All right. Well, that does it for another edition of Screen Time with Rowan Rubber, brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Renee Nelson and Tim Malenius are our executive producers. Brian Altamers, our musical director. See you next time.